1: Welcome to Checking In. I'm your host, Zara Barnes, Self Magazine's interim editor in chief. Every week, people reach out to us with questions and concerns about health and wellness, and I connect with experts and people who have been there before. The goal is to find some answers to these questions so the people asking and anyone who's going through something similar all feel a little better. This week, we're talking about the kind of ridiculous experience that is dating right now. One of our listeners, Lori, is wondering how to get back into dating after a long time spent in pandemic isolation.
2: Since quarantine, since being under the COVID umbrella, I guess, how does one start initiating the dating? Before online dating was hard in itself with the meeting but now it's like how do you go from being online to being in person and then trusting that the person that you're talking to is going to be as careful as you are i've been very very cautious and i think that's it just feels like time is just going by and i i I need to start you know dating and taking it seriously because this shows me that life is really really short but dating is really a high priority for me because it shows you, like, you know, being single during quarantine is OK. You know, first couple of months this is great. You know, I can do what I need to do. But then, you know, you want to share that experience with someone else.
1: Lori, you would fit right in with my group chats. These questions aren't only valid. They're also really, really common. I think it's great that you're taking time to consider your own feelings before trying to go on a date again for the first time since the pandemic began. Obviously, a lot has changed about the world, including when it comes to dating. Match Group, the company that owns dating apps like Tinder, Hinge, and OkCupid, surveyed 5,000 single people in the U.S. last summer. They found that 53% of people dating on apps are prioritizing relationships more now than before the pandemic. And 69% of people said they were being more honest with potential partners. All of that sounds great, but we also know dating isn't easy, not before the pandemic and not now. Some of those survey findings spoke to that as well, including the fact that only 21% of people said they asked about social distancing before meeting in person. So what can listeners like Lori do to ease back into a dating scene that looks radically different? To answer that question, first I am so excited to talk to Patia Brathwaite, Senior Health Editor at Self. She covers dating and relationships for us, and she is also single and dating. Then, later in this episode, we'll get some advice from Tracy maderos bagan a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. They'll offer tips for having these difficult conversations and what to do when things don't go the way you expect. Well, Patia, how's it going? It's Monday, which is a whole thing.
0: It is Monday. I'm well. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm excited to chat with you because after... Editing so many of your stories and seeing a lot of the love and relationships ones take off, I feel like there's a ton to dig into.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to dig into Lori's question. I feel like I am a professional single person at this point.
1: (laughs) Patia's self-coverage on dating and relationships has explored everything from ghosting to how to have actually good phone sex. And so I was curious to start for her thoughts on how this prolonged period of isolation and heightened stress has changed the dating landscape.
0: The short answer is that it's definitely complicated our relationships. I think that the stakes feel higher than ever. Things that were sort of minor disagreements or, or minor differences in points of view can feel magnified when, you know, you're sort of assessing the risk of going to the grocery store, right? Right. And I think it's really shown us how interconnected we are, whether that is like the people that are in your household or the people that you, that, you know, share your home state, you know, I think it's definitely taught us that we are way more connected than we thought. I think that what's been helpful for me is sort of understanding that this time away from my loved ones and and from like sort of normal society has really, really been about protecting the people I love and protecting myself. And I think when you can shift perspective and instead of thinking about what you may have lost, understanding why you took this time away, it can really, really help with that feeling of, of feeling like you missed out. And then just understanding that a lot of us are feeling that way, even people who are coupled, I think that like, you know, this has been such a disruptive year that most people are coming away with clarity around how they want their lives to look.
1: Now, single people like Lori are feeling safer to get out and meet people again. The COVID-19 vaccines are generally more available across the country, and as it gets warmer, it's easier to meet up outside again.
0: So many people are trying to figure out how to be with people in real time again, and I think you can really go slowly. I think you can start with seeing, like, your loved ones, the people that you feel comfortable with and kind of troubleshooting that awkwardness. And, and as you feel ready, kind of gear up or ramp up to online dating. And I think that because this is such a conversation that we're having, like culturally, you can name it, right? You can just say like, I might be awkward. I don't know if I'm going to know what to do with my hands. Like you can make a joke, make light of it and like bring it to the surface so that you don't have to pretend to be far more chill than you actually are.
1: Patia's point here is excellent. Let's all just stop pretending to be more chill than we are, people. It's totally fine to be nervous, especially when you feel like you have to make up for lost time. You can take it slowly and you can be honest and open about how you're feeling. The right person or people will get it. So, Lori is ready to go out on a date again. The first step is actually finding a match
0: apps are a great way to meet people without meeting them, gauge sort of their seriousness without having to breathe the same air as them. And in my experience, I've found that people are pretty upfront or will will be pretty transparent around how safe they're being, if not overtly, by saying like, I am social distancing. You kind of know If you match with somebody and they want to meet you five minutes later, that that's probably not a person who is, (laughs) you know, as serious about adhering to social distancing as you are. So I think apps are a really, really low stakes way of beginning to explore what dating in person can look like. And then my other tip was just kind of remembering that dating has always been really, really difficult and has always sort of felt a little scary whether that's like just putting yourself in physically vulnerable situations or emotionally vulnerable situations in one of the pieces i wrote we looked at Pew research from like 2019 and something like 67% of respondents said that like dating was uh not going well or was like not going too well and so i think in 2021 You know, the big scary thing is COVID and is feeling safe. But I think that, like, in 2019 or 2018, the big scary thing could have been, like, opposing political views, right? And so understanding that, like, this is something that's always been sort of scary is really helpful. COVID
1: fears right now are very real. So please don't feel like you need to minimize those fears to appeal to a potential match. Instead, try to figure out what your boundaries are and then communicate them.
0: I think getting really, really clear beforehand can really help in those moments where you're weighing, like, I really like this person, but they seem to be doing something a little scary. Dating isn't all stress and
1: anxiety. It's exciting and, dare I say, even fun sometimes. And dating in a pandemic can also have some surprising benefits, as Patia told me.
0: I think that, like, there not being any rules or norms uh, or, like, having our norms so shaken and disrupted means that you can kind of create your own rules around. Like, you have people who are saying, like, I don't know how to be normal in this. And then you have other people who are like, oh, hot girl summer, you know? And so I think that the idea that you get to decide what you feel comfortable and safe doing, uh, and then you get to communicate that is a really, really big win. And I don't think that pre-pandemic, that was as available. I think it was harder to kind of push back around some of these like conventions that we have around dating. And now I think everybody's kind of like, what do we do? And you can be creative. And then my personal socially distanced dating win has been book clubbing with Bumble matches. I think it it has been like one of my favorite things to do this year is like forcing my matches to read books with me
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay that is we need to take a detour here because that is an incredible idea and I have not heard anyone else do this okay so what has been the biggest book club win in terms of maybe introducing someone to a book you've loved or discovering a book you've loved through this book club dating situation
0: Yeah. So I've been lucky to match with readers. And like, once I know that you're a reader, I'm like, let's read a book together. (laughs) And yeah, it's just, it's, it's been such an interesting way to learn about somebody through which characters they resonate with, through what makes them angry about the book. I found that you can have really surprisingly intimate conversations that you probably wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. I read Brit Bennett's The Vanishing Half with a Bumble match and, it opened up a lot of conversation around family structure and colorism. And yeah, it, it, was, it was really, really, really fruitful.
1: Can we just pause for a moment to appreciate the brilliance of Patia's idea here? You can learn about someone in a safe but intimate way. Then, if and when you do decide to meet up in person, you already have this shared experience. Getting back to Patia's reporting though, I wanted to address another part of Lori's question. This pandemic has really made her think about time. It's helped her realize that she wants to prioritize dating, which can be a great discovery. But I asked Patia how to do that without putting too much pressure on yourself.
0: Most of the relationship experts that I've spoken to would say to like interrogate that internalized that need or that should and kind of figure out where it's coming from, whether that's like journaling about it or like talking to a therapist or talking to a friend who can kind of actively listen and mirror back what you're saying. But yeah, taking a moment to, to just figure out if that is your like internal desire or if that's societal pressure, if that's that all of your friends are in relationships and that kind of thing. And then I think once you do that and you kind of know that like, okay, this is actually like an authentic desire that I like, I just, I'm ready and my heart is open. I think just kind of knowing that it might take some time, knowing that it's a process, knowing that even if you meet the person, like you match with somebody and you sit down and this is your person, you are probably at the beginning of a journey. <laughs> um, and I think that can be helpful. So like really, really kind of attuning and adjusting your expectations.
1: This reminder from Patia is an excellent one for Lori and anyone who's contemplating dating right now. You don't have to jump into it head first, and you can always take a break if you need to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that we always kind of talk about and all of my reporting always kind of leads back to your emotions are not only valid, but they are information. And so if you... if emotions are coming up for you around, you know, fear, anxiousness, you know, if you're having like physical sensations of anxiety, then these might be like signs that there's a little bit of introspection or hesitation that you kind of need to pay attention to before jumping out there. And I think dating is hard. And I have, I've, I'm the first person to admit that, but I do think that dating should, there should be an element of fun and something resembling excitement. And so I think that if you're checking in with yourself and there's more dread than excitement and it's feeling like a chore or like a job, <laughs> then it might be time to take some some vacation time from dating. It might be time to take a step back. And it doesn't have to be forever. You can kind of decide how long that that needs to be. But I do think that if you're not excited to meet new people, it does impact the quality of the interactions that you're having and your openness to those interactions. So checking in and kind of. Noticing how you feel at every, at every turn. Or not every turn, but regularly checking in and noticing how you feel is helpful.
1: We'll be back right after this quick break. After talking to Patia, I kept thinking about boundaries and the conversations surrounding them. The pandemic has made this a much more critical, but also a much scarier topic to broach. So to get some advice for Lori and all of our listeners looking to date right now, I called up Tracy maderos bagan In Tracy's work as a therapist, they see a wide variety of clients in Southern California.
3: I do a lot on relationships and identity, and that's kind of my jam is checking in with folks and helping us uncover the narratives and the stories that are gonna make us feel the most congruent and the most whole.
1: What a worthy, lofty goal. But right now, so many of us aren't feeling that way. We're dealing with a lot of trauma. And despite the dating platitudes you've probably heard, you don't need to be some perfect version of yourself before finding a partner. And that's especially important to remember
3: right now. For me, when I think about relational work, it's sort of first this like uncovering of what we know we want, what feels the best to us. And I don't think we're always going to get there. I want to state this before we get into relationship. I'm not asking everyone to be their most evolved selves because I feel like that's a lifetime goal. But I think that we can start to look at that stuff. We start to work on our nervous system, find grounding. It's actually going to be easier than we think to go out in the world and get that reflection back or to trust our own meter and our own gut instinct, right, around who feels good and who's honoring us, those kinds of things. So I guess that's how I see those pieces connecting for relationships. And also, of course, this is a little scary because I'm meeting a new human and I haven't done a lot of that this year. And so knowing that, like having some compassion for
1: ourselves. Tracy told me about one foundational way of bringing that compassion out in our dating lives. Getting enthusiastic consent basically every step of the way. So that means consent from the people you're dating, yes. But it's also about practicing consent with yourself and paying attention when something doesn't feel
3: right. Instead of feeling like, okay, now I'm going to go out in the world and date and like shut that down. Like to me, I'm like, oh no, that's, that's a gift. It's like, we might need to ask ourselves to be brave. We might need to grow our edges. We might need to make new neural pathways, right? Ask ourselves to do different things, but we don't actually have to shut that down, nor do I think that is helpful. And cutting off those places that we're like, I don't know if I consent to this, right? Even with ourselves, like, no, just go out and do it. That's not consent with ourselves. That's not enthusiastic consent. So we shouldn't shut
1: down entirely or try to ignore any of these warning signs. But what does enthusiastic consent for ourselves look like in practice?
3: That's communication. That's checking in with ourselves and each other. That's being extra good about respecting boundaries and being really tentative and being consensual, not just with our bodies, but with our communication with one another. If we can do all things, that's actually helping us create solid ground to build up actually from a in my opinion a stronger place right a clearer space to date and interact safely with one another's bodies and with our hearts
1: okay what tracy is saying here is
3: lovely but before
1: you can respect those boundaries you have to actually figure out what they are and that's not an easy task especially when there's so much information out there about how
3: to stay safe right now i think asking yourself like finding a way to try to ask kind questions to yourself around like what is anxiety versus what information do I have right and if you cannot separate the two I think and that is really common as a side note right it's not something that is easy to do it is a practice but if you cannot separate like what is my anxious voice from what is like I feel like might really be safe or unsafe then it's to sit with that and to Like, I I think a good one is to sit and to actually think, to like lean into like, well, what does that fear look like, right? Does it have a feeling or color or like a fog or anything? Like, what is the visual of it for myself? And then how can I take some deep breaths and see what I can dissipate when I say, hey, I see you there. I thank you because you are trying to protect me. Like our fear is trying to protect us. And then ask yourself again, Do I feel safe to go out and meet folks in this moment in time?
1: Like Tracy said, there's a lot to consider when setting your own boundaries. Do you live in a multi-generational household? Are you immunocompromised or do you live with someone who is? Are you a frontline worker? These are big questions of safety. And so I don't want Lori or anyone else to feel shame or guilt for being firm in these decisions. That's easier said than done though, especially when you're trying to be charming. So I asked Tracy what tips they have for navigating
3: these conversations. I love the conversations that have been happening this year. And as someone who works with kinky folks and non-monogamous folks and folks where always, I'm a little bit of a broken record around talking to each other and communicating and articulating our needs and our boundaries and all of that, it's asked more folks to do that and to do that with people they wouldn't normally do that with. So we're all of a sudden in a world where if you have a roommate, (laughs) you're having to ask them about what their practices are, right? And what is okay to ask? What is not? How do we like not, you know, control each other, but check in with each other? If we can, it is also not bad to ask folks around us, like, can I ask why this feels okay to you? Can I ask what you're reading, consuming, listening to? Do you have other information for me that might be helpful if this is the direction you want to go. And even just even emotional stuff, right? Like what? how are you taking care of yourself during the pandemic? And I think, while well, this is hard. This is like both simple and also probably the most effective. It's like you stay your boundary and then you just hold your breath for a second. This is my boundary and just wait. I think the other thing that opens up more dialogue, which I also really love is just being curious with our questions. Maybe it's, hey, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable about like opening up to another household and maybe this other person can tell you, hey, I want to let you know, like actually I'm only dating via Zoom (laughs) and I'm only like meeting one person at a time. And of course, like we have to trust that other person, but like that might be very different than just assuming That, you know, folks maybe are dating, quote unquote, right, more than one person, but we don't actually know what that practice looks like. And I think in this moment in time, we can ask for that practice to look differently than it used to. I love
1: that curiosity angle. I feel like it helps to kind of defang the conversation. So it's not necessarily something that is potentially going to turn into an immediate standoff with someone feeling interrogated and defensive. And it kind of respects their autonomy, it respects their logic that maybe they have, you know, a a way of thinking about this that would be helpful. I think one common fear I've seen from people is that they're going to have something good going with someone they're excited about, and then they're going to state their COVID safety boundaries, and that person is going to disappear, or that person is going to say, you know what, this is not right for me. How do people cope with that fear of rejection, specifically around stating and holding their boundaries?
3: It is really challenging, and I hate, I feel like this is a very therapist (laughs) answer, (laughs) but to me, like hearing that, it's like thinking about in our relationships, shouldn't one of our like bare minimums be that folks are going to be kind and at best accepting, but at very least like understanding and validating of our boundaries, even if it means that that's not a good fit for the two of you or however many folks are in the relationship. I think if we can reframe that, like I oftentimes will do work with folks around like deconstructing the idea of rejection. right? And so whether it's about COVID, or what restaurants you want to go to, or what have you. It's like, isn't it the very least that you're going to line up with some of the stuff run with with a partner, and that the stuff that you don't line up on, that both of you feel comfortable holding the tension of that that difference. Or it's like if we're just saying, "This is what I feel safe around," that that's not rejection. It's that other person telling you, "Oh, we're not a good fit in this way," and then I hope very much that they do it kindly, but you know, even if they don't, that that's still important that you say, okay, thank you. Next.
1: Lori, I hope this episode gave you a bit more of a roadmap for getting back into the dating scene and that you have some tools to give yourself some grace as you do it. Thanks so much for checking in. If you enjoyed this show, make sure to rate and leave a review. Also, be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app. It helps new listeners find us. You can find more information and references from this episode in our show notes. Follow Self on Instagram at Self Magazine and follow me at Zara Barnes. Checking In is produced by Wonder Media Network. Executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. Lead producer is Lindsay Cradwell, and production assistant is Alessandra Tejeda. On the SELF team, our director of programming and development is Sarah Yalowitz, our digital director is Amy Isinger, and our researcher is Madeline Shire. From the Condé Nast Entertainment side, the head of production is Carrie Clayton, executive producer is Stacia Jones, and senior producer is Elon Schoonmaker. The theme music is by Biscuit and Butter courtesy of Blaze LLC. Thanks for listening and see you next week.